You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Bible turn to the book of Galatians, if you would. We're continuing our series entitled Only Jesus. We're going verse by verse to the book of Galatians. Uh, if you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up in our website at whoecala.org. Subscribe to our podcast. Do what you need to do to get caught up that way. We find ourselves in Galatians chapter 2 tonight. We find ourselves here in the middle of a, a story that Paul's telling. It's interesting. Uh, many of Paul's writings are... Uh, doctrinal in nature, they're prescriptive in nature. Uh, We find ourselves in the middle of a story here in this case, though, but uh, as we talked about last week, every story in the Bible is there for a reason, for us to grasp spiritual truth from it. So every time we even read a story in the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, what does this story mean to us? Uh, What is God trying to communicate to us? What should we grasp and apply from this passage? And uh, that's where we find ourselves uh, here tonight. Interesting uh, story here. Uh, Paul has uh, gone to uh, Jerusalem uh, with Titus and Barnabas. They wanted Titus to uh, be circumcised even though he wasn't a Jew. Paul says, nope, not gonna happen. Uh, There's some people who thought that they were uh, somebody and Paul says they didn't add anything to me or to the church and didn't help us out in any way. Uh, And so uh, God, he says in this case here, God doesn't put anybody on a pedestal. Nobody's better than anybody else. And so uh, Paul was uh, largely unimpressed by these folks. We found ourselves tonight where uh, Peter had come uh, to uh, hang out with the the, uh, believers that Paul had been ministering to. Now, it's important to understand the context here. Uh, Paul had primarily gone to the Gentiles. These were non-Jewish people uh, to preach the gospel, to see them get saved. Uh, Peter uh, and James and John were still part of a group that was reaching the Jews with the gospel, uh, trying to get these folks converted from Judaism uh, to Christianity. And again, mind you, there's a lot of confusion in this period of time. Those that were coming from Judaism to say, well, to be a Christian, we can follow Christ, but we also still need to keep the Levitical law. We still need circumcision. We still need to keep the feast. We still have to do sacrifices plus Jesus Christ. And Paul writes this uh, letter to the churches at Galatia saying, nope, that's not the case at all. Christ alone is enough for salvation. So these guys had kind of muddied the water when it came to the gospel a little bit. Uh, these folks that would be referred to as Judaizers, those who were trying to put these Christians, these Gentile believers underneath the law. And so Paul says, no, no, Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. We no longer need the law to justify us. Uh, faith in Christ is enough for that. Now, we find ourselves in a difficult situation here because Peter, uh, as he comes now, has distanced himself from these new Gentile believers. So these folks who are new in their faith in Christ and are following Christ for the first time in their life now, uh, there seems to be a little bit of division now between them and these Jews. And Peter's gone so far as to uh, remove himself from these new Gentile believers and to basically sit with the uh, Jews only. So we find division in the early church, which division always kills a church every single time. Uh, anytime there's a division, infighting, disunity in the church, there's always problems that go along with that. And so we find division here in the church between the Jews and the Gentiles, and Paul puts a stop to it really quickly. And so uh, we find a, a conflict here between Peter and Paul. 
And again, not all conflict is bad. Conflict many times can be very healthy. In this case here, we find a healthy conflict taking place uh, between Peter and Paul in this case here. So I'm entitled tonight's message, Principles from the Conflict of Peter and Paul. Uh, I know it's not a very exciting title, but it's, uh, it's what we got tonight. Uh, Galatians chapter two, we're gonna start in verse number one and we're gonna read through verse number 14 tonight. Galatians chapter two, verse number one, then 14 years after I went up into Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And because of the false brethren unawares brought in, who came in to privily spy out our liberty, which we might have in Christ, that they might bring us into bondage. So there's fake believers that had come into uh, the church here who were trying to convert these people back to Judaism. He said, bringing us back into bondage. Not gonna allow that to happen, verse five. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. In other words, these guys had a reputation, but I wasn't impressed. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was come unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was come unto Peter. These people understood that I was coming to Gentiles now, just as Peter had gone to the Jews, those of the circumcision in this case, verse seven. Verse eight, for he that wrought effectually in Peter the apostleship of circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, Cephas is also Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace was given unto me that they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and the end of the circumcision. So they went to, to Jerusalem together. They met Peter, James, and John. And Peter, James, and John says, yeah, you guys go to the Gentiles, we're gonna continue to minister to these Jews that we have at Jerusalem. You do your thing, we'll do our thing, and we'll work on this team together from opposite ends. Verse 10, only that we should remember the poor, the same which was forward to do. Verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Uh, withstood him to the face, meaning they had, uh, they had words with one another, uh, and they weren't kind, nice words because he was to be blamed for before that, Certain came from James, a group of people came from James, which had been at Jerusalem. He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So just to give you an idea of what that means in verse number 12, Peter was all buddy-buddy with these believers at the churches at Galatia, in Antioch here, in this case here. Had no problem sitting with them, fellowship with them, talking with them, and things like that. But when the Jews came to Antioch, Peter withdrew himself. And now he's not gonna have anything to do with these believers over here now because he's with the Jews now. Peter was very duplicitous in this case here. And Paul wasn't gonna have anything. I withstood him to the face. Verse number 13, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch as Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. The word dissimulation is a heavy word. In some English uh, translations, the word hypocrisy is used. So uh, in other words, in this case here, it's even affected Barnabas, who was a close uh, worker with Paul, was carried away with their hypocrisy, verse 14. When I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, 
Why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as the Jews? For by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that no man is justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not the works of the law, for the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And Paul says in verse number uh, 14, Peter, you're not even living like a Jew. Peter, you're living like a Gentile. Why would you, who are a Jew, and you're living like a Gentile, want Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter, that makes no sense whatsoever. And Paul and, uh, and Peter had a heated conversation, I guess you could say. Now, again, this is a story. We'll talk about what it means to be justified uh, by faith as opposed to justified by the law next week. But what are some, some principles that we can glean from this story? What can we see about this conflict that Peter and Paul had together that we can learn from and grow from and be better from as a result as a church tonight? Here's some thoughts. Uh, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write down these thoughts tonight. First of all, unnecessary division hurts the cause of Christ. Take a look at the verse number 12. Before the certain that came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So here we created division in the church based on Jew versus Gentile. Unnecessary division in this case here. Paul would later tell us that it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile or Greek or, or Roman, that we're all in Christ together. I have a, uh, a great problem with any church that would unnecessarily divide up the body of Christ, uh, whether by age group or by, by uh, ethnic background or cultural background and things like that. I think, again, if we have a group of people in our church that are Koreans that only speak Korean, I think maybe we should have a Korean ministry to help them or maybe help them find a church that speaks Korean. Uh, but I don't think that we should have a bunch of people who speak English who happen to be Korean, uh, have their own group that gets together every week and has dinner over at each other's house and exclude people like me who are not Korean, um, unnecessary division. This is what happened, and Peter did it because he was fearful of what the Jews would think of him. Oh, here's this Peter who's a Jew of the Jews. What's he doing even with the Gentiles, these guys that are uncircumcised? And Peter created division where there needed to be no division. This is a great opportunity for, for Peter to lead in unity in the church. Hey, guys, here's our Gentile brothers who before Christ would have been against us, but because of Christ, we're all in this together. It would have been a great opportunity for Peter to lead in that way, but he didn't create a division where there needed to be no division. Race, class, background, traditions, these have no place in the body of Christ because they create division. It's really important that we understand something. If you take worldwide the number of people who claim to be Christian, it's a very small number Speaking of the entire world population, the world population is seven and a half billion, about one billion people claim to be Christian. Now, when I say claim to be Christian, how many of those are actual real deal born again believers? A considerably smaller number than one billion for sure because a lot of times false religions and anybody who would uh, even remotely call themselves Christian gets lumped into that. We, we talked about that yesterday at our Sharing Jesus class just because somebody calls themselves a Christian doesn't necessarily make them a born-again child of God. Uh, that oftentimes people will use the term Christian to describe the fact that we believe in God. Well, we're a Christian family. We always have been. Uh, we believe in God. We, we're not atheists, so we must be Christians. Uh, that's not the definition of a Christian. 
We're talking about born again children of God. And again, when we begin to divide up believers from unbelievers, we're gonna have a smaller number of people here. Now, when we get into Christians who are part of Bible-believing Christianity, these are people who are part of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, we're going into an even smaller number of people as we get this down. And as we look at different things that would divide us, we get smaller and smaller in our numbers. So it's important that we don't create unnecessary division, that we don't just find some reason that I don't like that guy and that song he sang last Sunday, he's not really a true believer and just write that dude off. I don't believe in that guy. That guy uses maybe a different Bible version than we do, so, so he's probably not a Christian. That guy over there, he spends a lot of time with the drug addict ministry over there. He must not be a true believer. Let's write him off. And we create this unnecessary division when the body of Christ overall is small enough as it is, we don't need to create further division inside the body of Christ. That makes sense? Now, there are times that we need necessary division. There are times where we need to separate from other people who would call themselves Christians. What's a reason? Somebody help me with this tonight. A reason why we would separate from someone who claimed to be a Christian for good reason. Sin. Hey, we have a brother who claims to be a follower of Christ and is living in egregious sin. The Bible says you need to take a step back from that guy. The Bible gives us clear uh, guidelines in Matthew chapter 18 as well. If they're not willing to make their sin right, you need to separate from them and cast them out of the church. Matthew chapter 18 talks about that. That's heavy right there. But if someone is in sin, the Bible commands us to separate from them. We definitely should. What's another reason why we would separate from someone who claims to be a Christian? A good reason. Doctrine, doctrine always divides. It's interesting, people think that, uh, like, oh, we should just agree on the things we agree on and just agree to disagree on the things we disagree on. No, uh, we, there cannot be true unity without good doctrine, we just can't. I can't call myself the brother of a guy who would teach that there's another way to heaven other than Jesus Christ alone. And because of that, I have to step back and create division. This is why I'm not a fan of interdenominational, especially interfaith uh, types of things where you get together with people from all kinds of different faiths and, and, and pray to your God or whatever. I don't buy that. Uh, I've, I've seen churches before who they'll have a, a Muslim uh, teacher come in and talk about the kind of the correlations between Christianity and Muslims and how we can be good neighbors and stuff like that. Hey, uh-uh-uh. No. That's a good reason for division right there. They're teaching something that's contrary to the Bible, and for that we have to pull back from that. Any other things we can think of? How about somebody who's being injurious to the cause of Christ? Somebody who's hurting Jesus' name. Uh, there's some churches out there that would call themselves Baptist churches that have hurt the name of Christ. Hey, I want to distance myself from that. I don't know if you've ever heard of Westboro Baptist Church, but it's a mess. Those people aren't Baptists and they're not even Christian. They protest soldiers' funerals. They uh, have ugly things that they say towards uh, anybody that doesn't agree with them. They're a cult. They're a mess. And we, we would separate from that and say, uh-uh-uh, that's not Baptist. That's not even Christian right there. So anyone who would hurt the cause of Christ, we're going to step back from that, and we're going to say, we don't need to associate with that. But in this case here, Peter's got good brothers in the church at Antioch that he doesn't want to have anything to do with because of their cultural background, because of their race. And Paul says, hey, this is hurting the cause of Christ. The message of the gospel is that all are welcome and all are in Christ. 
the gospel is an inclusive message. That's the beauty of the gospel. Uh, the gospel says that every single person is welcome here. Doesn't matter what your cultural background is. Doesn't matter what you're struggling with in life. You are welcome in Christ. Your sin has broken your relationship with God. Your sin has alienated you from Jesus Christ. But God loves you sent his son to die to pay for your sins so that you can be welcomed into the family of God. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ died in place of sinners. That's the message of the gospel. All are welcome. Whatever you've got going on, you're welcome here because the gospel is the answer to everything that ails you. So the gospel is an inclusive message. So for someone to take the gospel and use it to exclude people just because they're different than us, is the opposite of the gospel. You see, before salvation, every person is equally separated from God. After salvation, every person is equally reconciled to God. That's the, the beauty of the gospel. Before Christ, every single one of us was an enemy of God. But because of Christ, when you've accepted Christ as Savior, all of us are equally reconciled back to God. Crazy thought. We were once the enemies of God. Now we have a seat at God's table. We once were enemies of God, but now we're called his children. We once hurt the cause of Christ. Now we are for the cause of Christ. That's what the gospel does. And so the message of Christ is that all are welcome in Christ. This goes on to tell us here, another principle that we gather from this is that no one is beyond admonishment and correction. I guess when you talk about Christian celebrities in biblical times, Peter would have been at the top of the list. He was one of uh, Jesus' very first apostles. He was in that boat that day when Jesus says, launch out. And he launched out and caught some fish. Jesus said, follow me. He dropped everything he had and followed Jesus. He was the guy when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people, Elijah, who do you say that I am? Peter says, ooh, I know. Thou art the Christ and the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, great job, Peter. You said it, man. You said it. And upon this truth, I will build my church. The fact that I am the Son of God, the living Christ. Peter said that. Peter is also kind of a knucklehead too, though, right? Jesus says, hey, guys, I gotta go down to Jerusalem. I'm gonna die, but on the third day, I'm gonna raise from the dead. Peter goes, uh-uh, nope, not on my watch. Not gonna happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Okay. Peter was the guy who said, hey, everybody will deny you, Lord, but not me. And Jesus said, three times before the cock crows, you're gonna deny me. And he did. Peter was the guy who, when Jesus Christ had died, decided he was just gonna go fishing instead. And Christ finds him, cooks breakfast, and talks with him for a bit. And he says, hey, do you love me? He goes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. That's Peter. When Christ ascended into heaven, he said, hey, guys, go to Jerusalem and wait. And when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, I want you to go, win, baptize, and teach. And the day of Pentecost comes, this massive feast where people from all over the world had come. Peter was the guy who stood up and preached Christ. Peter 
helped found the church in the fact that he preached the word and 3,000 people were saved, baptized, added to the church. Notice I say helped build the church because the Bible tells us that Christ built the church along with the apostles. Peter didn't build anything by himself, just know that. Peter was not the first pope. Peter was not the, the, uh, the father of the church or anything along those lines. But Peter, you want to talk about celebrities? Peter was it. He was the guy. He would have been the man. And when he came to Antioch and he gets his group of Jews over here to the side and says, we're not eating dinner with these guys over here, I can imagine the Gentiles who got left out by celebrity Peter who had come to town felt a little bit awkward. I mean, these are people that Paul's been spending time with every single day, encouraging them to love Jesus and walk with Jesus and showing them the beauty that's found in Jesus Christ and being forgiven. And now Peter goes, is like, mm, you guys aren't like real Christians like us. You're different. It's cute what you got going on over here, but we're gonna stay over here with us Jews. You do your thing over there. And Paul, in righteous anger, I don't know what the Anger might be a strong word. He said, I withstood him to the face. I think that's harsh words there. But in a righteous way, he says, "Uh uh-uh. Peter, I don't really care whose boat Jesus got in. I don't care who you preached to on the day of Pentecost. I don't care how many people got saved and got baptized. This is not the spirit of Christ. And this just goes to show that no one is above correction. This guy included. And again, if you meet anyone who doesn't want it, correction from the Bible, you've met a stubborn and proud person. And all you gotta do is read the book of Proverbs and talk about what happens to stubborn and proud people. It's ugly. I'm thankful that members of this church have come to me before and said, hey, pastor, you said this. I don't think you really meant it that way, but it came across this way. That helped me. That encouraged me. People before said, hey, pastor, you know, you said this the other day, and I think it might have been misconstrued the way you said it. I think I know your heart, but I don't think that's what you meant. That helped me. I've had guys before who come to me and say, pastor, you're burning the candle at both ends. You need to dial it back a notch. I said, you can't dial it back for the cause of Christ. We need to crank it up to 11. (laughs) No, you need to dial it back a notch. I'm thankful. I needed that. I'm thankful for people who can come in a spirit of humility when I've done wrong and give me the opportunity to make things right. That's healthy. This is how the church works. If you want to see a church that implodes, it's full of proud people who don't want correction, who don't want to be told that they're wrong, who aren't willing to make things right, who always have excuses why they're right and everyone else is wrong. Peter, in this case here, was uh, corrected by Paul to his face. Notice verse number 12, what it says again, the end of verse number four, or I'm sorry, verse number 12. It says, Peter was fearing them which were of the circumcision. The Bible tells us that the fear of man is a snare. If you fear man, just know your life is gonna be really, really hard. The word snare means a trap that's set for you. And just know if you fear man, there's a trap set for you and you're gonna get caught every single time. You cannot please everyone, but you can please the Lord. And if your goal in life is to be well-liked, you're gonna have problems. I'll be transparent with you guys tonight. This morning's message was hard for me to preach. I don't know if you're here this morning or not, but I preached on gender roles in, uh, in the Bible. Hmm, that's exciting. 
And just as I'm reading, say, reading the scripture, I haven't even said anything yet, but I'm just reading the scripture. Husbands are the head of their wives. I just feel the air in here just getting heavier. Wives, submit to your husbands. Just those words, head and submission, in our society have been so misused and abused that it was heavy. And I'm telling you this, this week, there's been meals that I missed because I was thinking about that passage of scripture. What are people gonna think? What are people gonna say? I know people in our church right now that aren't living in accordance with this passage of scripture. Will they get mad and leave the church as a result of it? And let me just tell you this again. If we weren't preaching verse by verse to the book of Ephesians, I would have definitely skipped that passage, no doubt about it. It was hard. And even as I was preaching this morning, I was trying to be very careful with the words that I chose. But then there were some times last week that I, I wasn't so concerned that I represented God's word well. I was concerned that people wouldn't like me. Would somebody get mad at me for what I said? Would somebody think that I'm a male chauvinist because of what I said? Would somebody think negatively of me because of what I said? And then I realized that's the wrong thinking altogether. Now, I think it's important that I communicate the word clearly. If I don't take care in communicating the word, someone could leave here with a misunderstanding of what God's word really says or with a, uh, a frustration towards the word of God because I didn't explain it clearly. And so I take that very, very seriously. But part of this this week was just a pride thing and I had to repent of it and ask God to forgive me. Mind you, this morning's message is still hard because I wanted to make sure that I represented the word well. But at the end of the day, it's not a popularity contest. And if you decide to stand on God's word, you will not be popular. Just say that. If you decide to be a biblical Christian, you're not gonna win every popularity contest, but the fear of man is a snare. Peter hurt some really good Christians who are trying to do their best to walk with Jesus. Why? Because he was scared of what people would think about him. He was so afraid of upsetting the Jews. And mind you, these Jews didn't fully understand the gospel yet because they were still trying to get people circumcised. So Peter's not trying to uh, keep the affection of these really solid Christians who are changing the world. He's actually trying to keep the affection of some people that were really mixed up in their doctrine and needed to be set straight. But he didn't do it. Why? Because he was scared. You can't, I can't allow what other people think of us to dictate whether or not we follow Jesus. I just can't. I gotta be true to the word of God. I've gotta be true to what God has placed in me. I've gotta be true to the purpose and calling on my life. And if other people don't like it, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've disappointed you. But I have to be true to what God's called me to do and you must do the same. Next principle that we see in this passage, right doctrine without right behavior always produces hypocrisy. Again, verse 13, that the word dissimulation could also be translated to our word hypocrisy. Man, that's a heavy, heavy word. I wanna explain it to you tonight though because many Christians get tripped up on this word. I've met many Christians before who quit on Jesus. Why? Because they don't wanna be a hypocrite. They don't wanna follow Christ, why? Because I don't wanna be a hypocrite. I've known people before who are not even willing to be saved because they're afraid of becoming a hypocrite. So it's important to understand and define what that term hypocrite actually means. The Greek word that's used here for the word hypocrisy or dissimulation is the idea of a Greek actor who would place a mask over himself 
to show a different mood or a different person. So how do we apply that to our life? Hypocrisy is I know that I'm faking on the inside, but I put on a mask on the outside. A hypocrite is a person who acts like they're a really, really solid Christian, really solid dude, really loves the Lord, really loves other people, but inside they know it's all an act and it's all fake. They're praise the Lord and smiley with everybody at church and hugging everybody as they come in, but the second they get in the car, they're ugly, they're angry, and they're mad. That's a hypocrite. Now, every time you come to church, does that mean you have to, to be ugly and angry? No, you need to change what's in your heart. But I don't have to be, I don't have to fake it. I haven't always been a pastor, but I made a commitment to my family when I became a pastor. If the same guy that's up here on Sunday is the same guy they're gonna eat dinner with on Tuesday night. I'm not gonna be any different up here than I am at home. What you see is what you get for better or for worse. Why? Because I don't wanna be a hypocrite. I don't wanna be up here on Sunday encouraging you to be in the word and pray and to be a man of God when at home, I'm not a man of God, I'm a man of myself. I don't wanna sit up here and encourage you to be in the word when my kids know good and well that I never cracked the Bible throughout the week. That's a hypocrite. A hypocrite isn't a Christian who's really trying to do their best but slips and falls. You know what that's called? A Christian. Paul's not a hypocrite, but you know what he said? I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. And the things that I know I'm not supposed to do, those are the things that I do. But he never called himself a hypocrite. He just said he's struggling. And any Christian who doesn't struggle just isn't being honest. We all struggle. But a hypocrite knows they're wrong. They know they're a fake. They know they're a put on. They know it's not real, but they want everybody to think that it is. And that's what Peter did. Peter was a hypocrite. He wanted to put on that he was a spiritual leader. He wanted to put on that he loved the Lord and that he loved all these people, loved these Christians, but he didn't really because the second that his reputation came into question, he split from him. Verse 13, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. You see, Peter knew the right doctrine. Peter knew that they didn't have to be circumcised to, to be Christians. Peter knew that they didn't have to keep the law. He knew that good and well. He knew that these guys were his brothers in Christ. He had already been spending time with them. It says before these Jews came with him from Jerusalem to Antioch, before that, Peter had dinner with them all the time. He was already friends with these guys, but the second other people came around, he divided himself and wanted to act like he was somebody. And this hypocrisy spread. So it's not enough to have right doctrine. We gotta have the right behavior too. It grieves me every time I see any Christian fall into sin. It's doubly grievous though when it's a pastor. He wants to get up and beat the pulpit about the blood and the blessed hope and the book and all this other stuff and talk about this and that and be ugly and angry and doctrine this, doctrine that. But yet, he's having an affair. He's steeped in pornography. He's unfaithful in some other area of his life. And just know this, it always happens. Be sure your sin will find you out. You can't cover up your sin forever. You can't be a hypocrite forever. You will be found out. It's only a matter of time. And so I wanna encourage you tonight, if you are a hypocrite, repent, make it right with God, and every person that you know you need to make it right with tonight because it's gonna be found out. It's only a matter of time. You cannot come and pretend to be a good Christian 
when inside you're not. Jesus said to the Pharisees, hey, you guys look great on the outside. You're a whitewashed tomb and inside you're full of dead men's bones. If anybody could see past this big grin you got on your face and your cute clothes you got on, they'd see that you are a rotting corpse inside. I can't afford that. I can't live like that. It has to be exhausting to live a two-faced life. And there's no place for hypocrisy in Jesus' church. It doesn't matter. You can have all the right doctrine in the world. If you don't have the right behavior, you're a hypocrite. And I'm not saying this to judge you. I don't have the right to judge you, but I'm encouraging you tonight. Make it right with God and stop living in duplicity. It's the most freeing thing you'll ever do in your entire life. I can guarantee you that. But the problem with your hypocrisy, the problem with your sin, the problem with my hypocrisy and my sin is sin and hypocrisy is a cancer that spreads. It's a cancer. It infects everything that it touches. Peter's hypocrisy here didn't just affect him. It wounded this church at Antioch with these legit, real deal believers that were trying their best to follow Jesus, but they didn't, they weren't Jews, and so Peter hurt them as a result of it. But it didn't just stop there with the fact that he hurt these believers and hurt his relationship with Paul and acted inappropriately towards him. It didn't stop there. Verse 14, I'm sorry, verse number 13 tells us that Barnabas got carried away with it too. If you don't know anything about Barnabas, Barnabas was like Paul's right-hand man. If you read Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas left the church at Antioch together to go on a missionary journey. They were the first missionaries in the church. Barnabas was the guy that vouched for Paul. When Paul came to Jerusalem to meet the apostles after he'd gotten saved on the road to Damascus, everybody's like, hold up, you're the guy that persecutes Christians. And Barnabas is like, "Uh uh-uh, he's good now. He's with me, I vouch for him. This is how close Paul and Barnabas were. But all it took was a little bit of sin and a little bit of hypocrisy and Barnabas himself got swept away with it. This is why sin can't stand in Jesus' church. It affects everything that it touches. This is heavy stuff. I've seen it happen in our church before. One person gets sideways and bent out of shape. They start talking to two or three people about it. I'd gotten wind uh, several years ago. This was early on, man. We were probably, I don't know, maybe a year and a half, two years old max. There's somebody who's attending our church. I got a phone call from another pastor, and he says, hey, just want to let you know that so-and-so attended our church service this morning with their family. Interesting, didn't know that. So I called him up and says, hey, can I come by your house this week? I just want to check in and see if everything's okay. They said, sure, so I'll come by. Sitting down on the couch, and I said, well, pastor, a lot of people in the church are talking. <laughs> That's always troubling. I said, well, you know, the Bible has a word for that. It's called gossip. Matthew chapter 18 says, if you've got a problem with somebody, you go talk to them. Done. And again, I appreciate people who will come and talk to me. That greatly, greatly helps me. Okay, who are these people? Well, I don't really want to say they didn't want to say. Well, I suggest you, it comes out right now, or I'm going to find out who said it. Okay, well, this one other family was talking about it. Okay, what's the problem? Well, we, you know, didn't like this, and we didn't like that, and didn't like this. We can give a laundry list of things they didn't like. Okay. Then, obviously, our church isn't the right church for you. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. We've, we've decided that. Great. Then you need to leave, and you need to stop what you're doing because your gossip is hurting our church. You say, well, you don't have the right to do that. Matthew chapter 18. Read it sometime when you get a chance. You have every right to do that. If someone's causing harm to Jesus' church, they need to either repent or move on. Only two choices. 
And again, it's not a mean, ugly, just go find another church. No, it's like, brother, we're not on the same page anymore. We're not helping one another. We don't want to hurt the cause of Christ. You need to find a place where you can serve Jesus faithfully. Because sin, if left unchecked, just continues to fester and grow. It doesn't go away automatically. Did you know that? Sin doesn't just automatically go away. That's one of the things that I find often in marital counseling is guys who struggle with pornography thought when they got married just the, the desire for pornography would just go away. Sin doesn't just go away. It has to be repented of and rooted out. You don't outgrow sin. So in this case here, Paul saw it and it had to be dealt with. Which is the next principle, our influence is a stewardship. Peter had a lot of weight. Again, he probably would have been a celebrity Christian back in that day. And all he had to do was take his lunch tray and move it across the cafeteria to sit with the cool kids and everything fell apart. Everything. Why? Because he had influence. You go, well, that's not really me. I don't have that much influence. If you are a child of God, God has given you influence. I don't care if you're 10 years old or you're 85 years old. You have influence because you're a child of God. How you use that is a stewardship. I want to use my influence that I have to encourage people to follow Jesus. I want to use my influence to encourage unity in the church. I want to use my influence to encourage men to be men and to love their families and to love Jesus' church and to love this unsaved world. I want to use my influence to encourage people to have a burden and a passion for souls and a desire to see people saved and baptized and added to Jesus' church. I want this church to... I want my influence to encourage this church to have a love for discipleship and teaching people the word of God and seeing people grow in their faith. I want my influence to do that. I don't want my influence to cause friction in the church. I want my influence to cause division in the church. I don't want my influence to push people away from the cause of Christ. I want to steward that. I want you to steward that. Realize that every person that you talk to is a living, breathing soul who will spend eternity somewhere. And you have the opportunity to influence them with your life. That's a stewardship. You need to manage that well. Peter didn't think about it. He was just like, ah, these guys over here, these Jews are gonna be upset with me if I'm hanging out with the Gentiles over here. So I guess I'm just gonna go over here and sit with them and not have anything to do with those Gentiles. And his influence caused other people to get caught up. Next, duplicity hurts the cause of Christ. Verse 14, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Peter, you're a Jew, but you don't live like a Jew. Why do you want Gentiles to live like a Jew? Peter, that doesn't even make sense. You're asking people to do things that you yourself don't do. You know what that is? That's duplicitous. Our walk talks and our talk talks. And our walk talks louder than our talk talks. People are watching you to see how you act and just know this, if you want to praise Jesus on Sunday and you want to live for yourself and the world the other six days of the week, you're duplicitous. And it hurts the cause of Christ. 
I mentioned sometimes in a joking way, uh, don't put a hooey call a sticker on the back of your car if you don't drive like a Christian. It's kind of funny, right? Uh, there's people in our church who don't have hooey call stickers on the back of their car for that reason. And I appreciate that. I really do. But just know this. If you've got a hooey call sticker on your hydro flask and you're sitting at the office running down your wife, calling her the old lady, I guess I'll get home to the ball and chain. I wish I could stay at work so I don't have to go home. Please know this. You're hurting the cause of Christ. Duplicitous. You want to be the guy in the office that's funny and tells dirty jokes, but you say you want to follow Christ, you're duplicitous. You're not helping the cause of Christ, you're hurting him. Peter says, oh, I want to follow Jesus. Oh, I want to encourage people to follow Jesus, but you're hurting the cause of Christ. Oh, I want you to live like a Jew, but I'm not going to. Not helpful. Final thought here tonight. Standing for truth is always worth it. If I stand alone in the stand for truth, I stand alone. Just how it is. As a kid, we used to sing a song, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. How do you know that song? Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Hey, Peter, or Paul in this case here, when he stood up to Peter, didn't have a big fan club behind him cheering him on. His own friend Barnabas had gone to the other side. That's how big of a deal this was. But you know, Paul says, "Mm -mm, this is too big of a deal. People have confused the gospel. They've muddied the waters here. Now you got Jews who have become Christians who are now trying to influence these Gentile believers in a negative way and causing it to be even worse. No, time out. We're gonna have to deal with this. Standing for the truth is always worth it. Nobody stands for truth with you. Stand for truth anyways. Hey, we're not the only Bible-preaching church in town, for sure. But if we were, you know what we'd do? Keep preaching the Word. Hey, this morning's message wasn't incredibly popular. Not looking for a popularity contest, just trying to be biblically accurate. Hey, some people have come to Huey Collins and says, ah, it's a little bit too conservative for me. Okay. We're just going to continue to stand for truth. If I have a need to always be with the popular crowd, you're going to be disappointed. If you have a need to always be accepted by the crowd, you're going to be disappointed. If you need somebody to validate all the time your feelings that you're going the right way and doing the right thing, you're going to be disappointed. But know this, in Jesus Christ, you will never be disappointed. And that's why we need the church to encourage us, to give us a shot in the arm to keep on going, This is why we need people to encourage us and help us. Can you imagine, I don't know if they're sitting in a lunchroom or what, I'm thinking to myself in my mind, again, they're sitting in a cafeteria and it's divided. You've got the the Jews over here with Peter and Peter's looking at the Gentiles down his nose over here. You've got the Gentiles over here and they're kind of picking at their food, you know, feel all down and discouraged and stuff like that. You can only imagine Paul just gets up and slams his chair and goes over there and says, Peter, come out here, I need to talk to you. Can you imagine what those guys felt like? Like, is he really standing up to Peter on our behalf? Is he really for us? And to just know that somebody is for you is such an encouragement. And I want you to know your pastor's for you. I love you and I pray for you every single day and I wanna see you stand for truth. The purpose of my life as a pastor is to prepare you 
to walk the Christian life and maximize your joy on this earth. And then one day stand before God in joy, knowing that you did your best. That's my, that's my job, to guide you that way. And I'm for you. Your brothers and sisters that are here tonight are for you. We want to see you make it. And we need each other. And we stand for truth. We don't have to stand alone. We got brothers and sisters who are with us. And if I had to stand alone, I love what Paul says. If you read Paul's speech that he gives in the book of Acts, he says, no man stood with me, but Christ was with me. Say, I'm never alone in my stand for truth. Some things are worth standing for. Some things are worth fighting for. Now, again, I don't advocate being ugly and getting on Facebook and arguing with every comment that you see that doesn't go your way. I don't, I don't believe that, uh, you know, cute pictures that people post on Instagram has ever won anybody to Christ or changed people's mind and stuff like that. Hey, use your influence as a stewardship to draw people to Christ. Hey, more than posting something that you found on the internet, it'd be a lot better to go to work tomorrow and just walk by a coworker and say, hey, I just want you to know I prayed for you this morning. I'll go a lot farther. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved. Maybe you don't know for sure that heaven's your home. Please don't leave here tonight without knowing for sure that your sin is forgiven and heaven is your home. It doesn't matter if you're standing for something if you're not standing for the right thing. It doesn't matter if you got all your doctrine right but you're not saved. You know everything about the Bible, but you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. But for those of us that are here tonight that are saved, we need to look inside of ourselves and say, is there any hypocrisy in my life that I need to make right? Am I wearing a mask? I know that I'm dead inside, but nobody else knows because I got a big grin. Praise the Lord. Amen, brother. Good to see you. Glad to be in church tonight. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Praise. Mm. But inside, you know it's all fake. If that's you, would you confess your sin tonight and make it right before your cancer spreads? If there's sin in your life that you haven't confessed and made right with God or people around you, would you make that right tonight? Otherwise, your sin spreads. In this case, your Barnabas was pulled away because of Peter's hypocrisy. It'd be a terrible thing if your sin caused somebody else to fall. It'd be a terrible thing if your crummy attitude and your hypocrisy caused somebody else to be sucked into that as well. Hey, I can't afford it, you can't afford it, or our church definitely can't afford it. But know this, Paul and Peter's relationship improved from here. You know why? Because they're on the same team. They're headed the same direction. Sometimes conflict is necessary to get us back on the right track. The most important thing in the world, though, is knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven. If you're here tonight, you don't know for sure that you're safe. Be safe tonight. If you're a child of God, make sure that you're 100% right with God and every person around you before you leave here tonight. Most important thing in the world.